Welcome to Truth Revealed Ministries, the weekly broadcast from Soul Purpose Evangelical Church in Middletown, New York, with Reverend Albert Feliciano Sr. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised, infallible, and impregnable Word of the Living God. Our prayer is that today's message draws you closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Albert. Greetings, God bless you. We are so grateful that you decided to tune in today to our radio broadcast. We thank you for tuning in. And this evening, I'd like to basically uh, share the word of God with you all. I have a title for my message. The title is called The Prescription for Revival. Glory to God. How many are in a need for revival in their lives, revival in their church, revival in their community? Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'd like to start out with a couple of quotes. Uh, I have a quote from a person named R.A. Torrey, and he gave a prescription for revival. I'd like you to listen to what he said. I can give you a prescription that will bring a revival to any church or community or any city on earth. First, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest that I am about to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together in a prayer group to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for Him to use as He sees fit in winning others to Christ. That is all. This is sure to bring a revival to any church or community. I have given this prescription around the world. It has been taken by many churches and by many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed, and it cannot fail. Charles G. Finney defined revival as nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just as in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down of heart, a getting down into the dust before God with deep humility and a forsaking of sin. There was a newspaper man from London who went to see firsthand the marvelous happenings of the great Welsh revival at the turn of the century. And on their arrival in Wales, one of them asked a policeman where the Welsh revival was. Drawing himself to his full height, he laid his hand over his heart and proudly proclaimed, Gentlemen, the Welsh revival is inside this uniform. You see, people, he had caught that holy fire inside. Seven hearts. Glory to God. Let me read this morning from 2 Chronicles 7 verses 14 through 16. Very well-known passage of Scripture, but very uh, uh, important, especially in our day. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. 
For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Psalm 133, I'd like to read that as well. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Glory to God. Saints of God and those tuning in today, I just want to talk a little bit about the Psalm 133 that we just read. It talks about brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. Did you know that unity is precious to God? Unity releases the power of God from on high. All people focused on others besides themselves. It's an unselfish lifestyle, a lifestyle of unity and fellowship and, and, and just coming together as one, keeping us perfectly tuned into God through the power of His Holy Spirit. And the Bible here talks about, it's like the anointing of Aaron, the anointing that started on his head, on the crown of his head, and it went all the way down to the soles of his feet. It covered his face. It covered his beard. It went over his clothing. It literally shielded him with the anointing of God, and it caused an overflowing. Hallelujah. You see, God commandeth the blessing to those who remain united. God brings the dew each and every morning to saturate his people with blessings. God gives you and me eternal life as we dwell together in unity in the presence of Almighty God. And there is endless blessings. Glory to God. Today, one of the benefactors of brethren who dwell together in unity is where I started this morning on the subject of revival. Now the salvation of lost souls in a church meeting is not of itself revival. Revival is for the believer. However, the salvation of the lost souls should be the result of a revival. And then of course it's on to discipleship. So many times people get saved in churches and then they're left in a sense abandoned like orphans left on a, on a doorstep. You know, we give them a Bible, we pat them on the back, we say, God bless you, and then we forget all about it. But Jesus never said to go and make converts. He said to go and make disciples. And true revival is about discipleship. Amen? Why is it that we don't see mass revivals breaking out all over the country, all over the world? Is it that the Word of God is losing its power? Certainly not. We all know that. What could it be? What is the possible answer? I believe many of us, especially those that are called by His name, in other words, Christians, at this time, at this season, at this stage in history, we are literally drifting. We're drifting away from the presence of God. We're drifting away from daily communion in the presence of God. I don't even know if we're in the secret place 
any longer. We have become so comfortable, we play it safe. We've become a generation of people who are simply satisfied with our salvation. We don't have a need or we're not preoccupied with anyone else headed to hell because we are saved ourselves and that's enough. And that is a sad statement. Christians today are so engrossed with themselves, with their problems, with their sicknesses, with their own personal desires, with their children, with their families, their own spiritual welfare. And the reality is that there's not much attention at all given to lost souls. It, it seems that it, it is a scheme of the devil. We Christians, we get satisfied with our insurance policy from hell. Our policy is, is paid up. Jesus paid it all. And that is sufficient for me. And that's good enough for me. And, and you know what? That is not good enough for the Lord God Almighty. You see, the devil wants to get us to focus on ourselves while the world outside is dying while your mom your dad your brother your sister your co-workers your neighbor while while your whole community around you is lost walking dead but you're safe you're saved you're fine saints we're living in the era of the lukewarm church we will struggle against sins that we choose we embrace the sins that we enjoy, and then we just pray for forgiveness afterwards. In essence, we're cheating grace. We're taking advantage of God's grace. If we look at Romans 6, Paul says, Shall I sin? Well, should I continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. And we know better. I, I call it cavalier Christians, Christians who are casual and careless and, and sometimes even inconsiderate, uh, Christians that are arrogant and haughty, and then, and then we wonder why revival doesn't break out and break forth like the early church where 3,000 souls were added every single day. Oftentimes we behave like little spoiled children. If we don't get our way, we won't go to church. We won't participate. And we even punish our church by not tithing or not giving. And we say, okay, I'm going to fix this pastor. I'm going to fix this church. And I'm just not going to show up. We're so cynical. God help us. We blame God also for the things that oftentimes we cause ourselves, among ourselves, by our own actions. You see, God promises in 2 Chronicles 7, which we read earlier, he says he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sins. He will heal our land. His eyes and his ears will be open and attentive to our prayers. He said he will sanctify our house. His name will be there forevermore. His eyes, his heart will be among us perpetually. Let me tell you, God has wonderful promises for his people. Hallelujah. However, the physical needs need to be addressed first. Before the spiritual can be received, we need to get our acts together. We cannot put the cart before the horse. You see, one of the greatest hindrance or hindrances with the casual Christian, and get ready for this one, this is a big one. 
is the sin of pride. Yes, foolish pride. Let me tell you, pride hinders revival. God hates pride. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven because of his arrogant pride. Did you know that sin wasn't actually birthed in the Garden of Eden? It was birthed in Lucifer's heart in heaven while he still was in the presence of Almighty God. Listen to what Isaiah 14 verses 13 through 14 says. And this is God talking about Lucifer. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit at the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What an abomination. These are called and, and oftentimes are, are referred to as the five I will statements. These are the I will statements that change Lucifer's destiny forever. And it was all as a result of his arrogant and foolish pride. He wasn't content with his position in heaven. He wanted more. He wanted to be equal with God. In fact, he wanted to supersede God. This same sin of pride led to the fall in the garden. And Satan tempted Eve to disobey God by telling her, if they ate the forbidden fruit, they will be like God, knowing good and evil. Their pride caused them both to rebel. Adam and Eve, they both rebelled. We seem to forget that, yes, Eve took the first bite, but Adam was with her. It's in the Word. Read it. And Adam should have been the one to protect her. But instead, he was like, honey, go ahead, you try this and let's see what happens. What a cowardly thing. If he would have been accountable and took ownership and asked God to forgive them for their disobedience, we may still be living in the garden in this very day. But they both rebelled against God. And let me tell you, many people see in their Bible where it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And if you look in your Bible, is as is italicized. And what it es essentially means is rebellion is witchcraft. So it's not as witchcraft, it is witchcraft. And they rebelled against God that day. And because of that, the curse fell on mankind. The result of pride, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. He was condemned to hell. As a result of man's disobedience, his relationship with God was broken. And he became a servant of Satan and, and was condemned to die. God sent his son Jesus, the second Adam, who humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, submitting himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And glory to God, Jesus died and he rose again because he had the power to lay his life down and the power to take it up again. And he did it because he loves you and he loves me. And I thank you, oh God, for that precious gift. 
It's because of Jesus. No other had made a way. The resurrection separates him from all others. There is no other God, no other guru, no other by which we shall be saved. It's none other than the name of Jesus Christ. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Glory to God. He reconciled us back to God, back to his Father. And anyone with him shall live forevermore. Let me get back to this quickly, the subject of pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride promotes itself rather than God. Pride doesn't consider God in one's lifestyle. Pride does not consult with God in decisions. Pride does not desire to serve and worship God before self. Pride is often characterized by selfishness, stubbornness, and worldliness. Pride does not genuinely seek God, nor does it seek to ever please God. Spiritual pride, even worse. When we think that we know everything about the Word of God, when we think that we have arrived and we start behaving and acting just like the Pharisees who really were religious fools in their day. Spiritual pride tells others how to live their lives and even judges them, but spiritual pride will not do it for themselves. Jesus called them hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woo! That is a hard word to receive. But it is a true word because Jesus is truth and he will not ever speak a lie. Pride, it causes a person to forget God. Psalms 10, 4, it says the wicked is proud, in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Pride brings destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Let me tell you, pride brings shame. Proverbs 11:2, it says when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride it leaves little hope for improvement. Couple more scriptures. Proverbs 26, 12. It says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. You know, in these verses, there, there was a, a thread, a, a theme about Humility. It, it literally brings me to my next point about the subject of 
humility. James 4, 6 through 10, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you heart, your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Matthew 23, 11 through 12, it says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Saints of God, humility is an act of your will. You must decide to humble yourselves. We can be assured that we can humble ourselves before the Lord. And if so, or if we don't, let's say God is sure to humble you. King Nebuchadnezzar found that out in Daniel 4, 37. He says, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. These are Jesus' own words. Jesus came to earth. He humbled himself to do his Father's will. Jesus was equal with God. In fact, he was God walking in the flesh. Yet, it was necessary for him to humble himself. He laid a foundation. He gave us an example to follow. And he became obedient unto death and unto his Father's will. Let's look at Philippians 2, 5 through 10. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 10:7. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Let me tell you that the word of God is clear. People of God, we are to humble ourselves. We are to become nothing in our own eyes. Humility is a challenge for many because of the many man-made theologies that we hear today. So many things, we, we, uh, especially young people, they, they go to school and one of the first things they tell them is, put your Bible away. It's allegory. It's a myth. It's not a real scientific book. And I bind that in the name of Jesus. 
for you college students that are listening today, do not put your Bible away. It has the weight of eternity in it. The Bible is authenticated by prophecy. It is accurate. It is true. It, the, the Bible says in Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of thy word is truth. And, and maybe the college professors can't handle it, but you can. Never put your Bible away. Glory to God. There's so many theologies that have invaded the body of Christ and positive thinking techniques and successful living formulas and name it and claim it and all these crazy philosophies out there. Man-made theologies that teach Christians to focus on what they want. In other words, their own will. They confess the promises of God to get their way to basically appease their own flesh. There are seminars out there to improve your self-image and all kinds of CD tapes and, and these uh, gurus out there to try to tell you how to live your best life. We are taught, after all, I am a king's kid. I should fly first class. I should have the best seat in the house. I should be seated in the highest office. These theologies however, will make us lose our focus on God. And humility will be at the bottom of your list. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our time, he said, I have never known a person whom I thought was truly filled with the Holy Spirit who went out and bragged about it or sought to draw attention to himself. Jonathan Edwards said nothing sets a person so far out of the devil's reach than humility. What a powerful statement. Humility breaks down our spiritual pride, our self-righteousness, our self-will, and it all comes through prayer. My third point, remember, pride the first, humility the second. My third point, the truest signs of revival is when people fall flat on their faces in prayer. When they confess and repent from their sins, when they turn away from the sins which they have allowed to come into the church and in their lives, when they turn away from the sins they've allowed themselves to be entangled by. The second chapter of Joel, it talks about a time of prayer, of outpouring, and revival. I'm going to read some verses from this second chapter in the book of Joel. Verses 12 and 13, it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, internal, not external. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and he relents from doing harm you see god is not in the business of doing you any harm but to give you a hope a future a better life and that more abundantly verses 15 and 17 of that same chapter blow the trumpet in zion consecrate a fast call a sacred assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation Assemble the elders, 
Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Verses 18 and 19. It says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer you and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I'm going to continue. It says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever that means you who are listening whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved glory to God hallelujah Get excited. Glory. Now that is revival. That right there is a prescription for revival. Glory to God. Humbling yourselves before God. Praying and seeking His face and getting rid of foolish pride and turning from your wicked ways. Then God who is faithful will hear your prayer and will heal our land. The prescription might be simple indeed. However, those steps I'll tell you the truth, they're not. The results are supernatural, but it requires a supernatural source. We cannot do this on our human effort alone. We will fall flat on our faces. What am I saying? What am I trying to convey to you? Church, saints of God, those that are listening, we need an infilling, a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God. We cannot survive without Him. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Never think that we can go on our own. It must be a move of the Spirit of God. It must be prompted by the Holy Spirit of God. And apart from Him, we can do nothing of ourselves we will simply just be entertaining ourselves and 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 just uh, uh, making ourselves feel warm and fuzzy let me give you an illustration there are deep-sea divers that enter the water with tanks on their back these tanks contain oxygen the purpose of these tanks strapped on their backs is so that they can make it in a foreign world water is not the divers natural habitat in order for them to survive in this foreign world of water they need to be connected to a life source from their real world in order for them to make it in this world that they're in they need oxygen from their world 
If they get disconnected from the oxygen from their world, they won't live too long in the other world. Their connection to one world is key to their survival in the other. Let me tell you, saints of God, the life source in the life of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. God has given the Christian a life source because this world to the Christian is a foreign territory. Did you know that you are normal? This world is abnormal. So take that, hallelujah, and enjoy that because it's the truth. In order to live here and make it, you need to be connected to a life source from your real world. And if you get disconnected from that life source, from your real world, you won't make it in this world as a follower of Christ. You'll be gagging for air that this world doesn't offer because it is a foreign territory. Our life source comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me ask you a question to those listening. Are you connected? Church, people, God is calling you. God is calling his people to humble themselves. God is looking for people to give themselves up to win others for Christ, to walk in love. The first thing we need to understand, it's not about you. Glory to God. God is calling people who will pray for others, who will pray for this land, who will pray for its leaders. How many are praying for our president and the cabinet members and the senators I'm telling you, our president right now is under attack, even from Christians. He's under attack from every single corner. And I'm not here trying to say he's a godly man or not a godly man. That's not the point. But we are required to pray for our leaders and, and to cover them in prayer. Are we praying for others? Are we praying for our enemies? Are we praying for those who have offended us? Are we praying for our pastors, our elders, our deacons, our leaders, the worship team, uh, those that cover for our kids in the nursery, the janitors who clean the house of God, the sanctuary, in many cases without pay, but as a sacrifice, as a labor of love, so that you have a place to come to, a clean place that smells good, that, that is a refreshment to our soul. Are we praying for those, uh, our loved ones, our family, our, our friends, our co-workers? God is looking for people who will look beyond their own needs and care for the needs of others. That really is the true essence of being the church. Those who surrender themselves to the will of God out of obedience and love for Him. And not out of obligation, but out of a deep desire to, to serve to love God and to honor God with every area of their life. God is calling people to turn away from loving this world and the things in it. And he's saying, come back to me, return to me. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God is looking for people to partner with him, to allow his Holy Spirit to guide you. Let me tell you, God and one believer is a majority. 
And, and when you walk with God, it's impossible to walk with God while still holding hands with the devil. It just doesn't work. It's all in or not. And many people will say, I, I, I just I haven't been able to make this full decision yet. Uh, I, I, I still have things that I need to do. I'm not ready to serve the Lord. Well, let me tell you, dear friend, I hope that is not your response because by you uh, 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 saying that, that you are not willing to surrender to God, you're not willing to follow Christ, you're not willing to make Him Lord of your life, in, in essence, you have already made a decision by default. If you are not serving God, then there is no other person to serve but the enemy. And the enemy may come in many forms. Some people serve Buddha, Mohammed, and Krishna, and all these other different religious gurus. Some people serve no God. They call themselves an atheist. And I don't serve anybody. I serve myself. And let me tell you, you can put any name, any, any label, any title. But the reality is, it is all Satan. It is all evil. Anything apart from Christ. That you are not serving Christ, you have already made a decision. And one day you will stand before God and you will have to give an account. But for those that have made the decision to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, to make Yeshua the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, uh, the King of kings, the Alpha, the Omega, those that have chosen to surrender themselves to the Lordship of God, let me tell you, you will be on an adventure and this adventure will take its course through the rest of your life as you are being sanctified daily and as you are walking daily with God and the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you and comforting you. You will have peace in every storm. You will be persecuted. Yes, it is not a path of tulips or, or, or rose bushes, but there will be thorns and thistles. But you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. God will be your source and He will walk with you and He will use you and you will see Him use you in your own life. Glory to God. Make no mistake, God wants to heal your marriage. God wants to heal you of any disease or any disorder. God wants to deliver your children from drugs from alcohol. He wants to deliver your loved ones from sexual immorality. God wants to heal you, your spouse, your family from addictions. God wants you to be happy at your place of employment. God wants you to be fruitful in your ministry. Whatever it is that he's called you to do, he wants to equip you and use you for his glory. However, this is not so that his deliverance that his perfect peace ends with you. It is for revival to come to you right where you are for you to rise up and do the will of God. It's to ignite you by the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to make you a lit ember, uh, uh, having Holy Ghost fires being lit everywhere that you go and indwelling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that releases a power in you to become a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In my region, that translates to Middletown, Orange County, New York State, USA, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, God calls you right in your own home first, right in your area of greatest influence, where there's the greatest need. Hallelujah. Saints of God, revival will come. The latter rain harvest will come. The greatest revival we have ever seen in the history of the world is about to take place. Make no mistake, we are in the last days and God's word is true. His promises are yes and amen. The question here is, who is prepared to take the prescription for revival? Who will pray and become intentional about revival? Who will humble themselves and turn from their sins? Who will get rid of their foolish pride? Who will decide to live for Jesus and go all in with the Son of God? Revival starts with you and me being indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It spreads like a wildfire, a wildfire through the region. The Bible says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, let me ask you the question, is that you? Are you prepared to humble yourselves this day, this evening? Body of Christ, let's do this together. Let's lay aside our differences. Let's put away our foolish pride. Let's put away all those things that so easily entangle us. And let us seek Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And let Him send revival in our land. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God allow His face to shine upon you. And may He be gracious unto you. And may He give you His peace. Brothers and sisters, shalom. We love you. Keep us in prayer as we will keep you in our prayers as well. We hope and pray that this message has impacted you. Let's pray for revival and be part of it. In Jesus' name. God bless you. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. You are all in our prayers. We're able to bring this radio ministry to you because of the generous support of listeners like you. If you've been blessed by today's program, please consider partnering with us with a love offering of any amount. Visit our website, specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. That's specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday soon. We thank you for your prayers and support. God bless you.